You're now listening to a podcast of Revolution Church, located at 1702 6th Street in Portsmouth, Ohio. Revolution meets on Sunday evenings at 6.30 p.m. For more information, visit www.revolutionchurchohio.com or check out our Facebook page. All right, well, good evening, everybody. We'll go ahead and get started with our time in the Word. Let me do just a little bit of housekeeping very quickly before we go to Luke chapter number 2. Um, as Stephen mentioned, we're certainly praying for the Dowdy family, and it's a huge surgery that his grandpa's facing. We've been by the room a couple of times, prayed with them last night as well. So we're standing with you and praying with David and Autumn and the whole family. Uh, I certainly want to thank the Lord for Stephen's ministry. He was over at Temple this morning and shared a couple of songs, and that's always an incredible blessing, really. Uh, in your church bulletin uh, and on the green handout that I have, at the bottom, there's some information about our upcoming Vacation Bible School. And what I've done is I've taken the liberty to bring over a few of these. These are door hangers that's got the information on it and actually some registration. You can register on the back and bring that with you. I also brought some postcards. The idea is what we're going to be doing July 30th through August 3rd, a traditional Vacation Bible School, so that you'll know the direction we're going. It is a series of lessons, five lessons, about the life of Peter starting when Christ called him to become a fisher of men, all the way through his ups and downs and trials, and then after the resurrection, asked, you know, do you love me? Yes, then feed my sheep. And Peter experiences a forever forgiveness. That's the key phrase, forever forgiveness. And so the lessons, even though they have a kind of a fun, even silly theme of a camp, it's called Camp Moose on the Loose, um, there's this puppet named Bruce the Moose, and he helps the kids understand these lessons. But they'll be teaching and craft and refreshments and games, sort of a traditional VBS, from 10 in the morning to 11.45. Our Temple Tots preschool and kindergarten will also be participating. We have 77 students this summer, so they'll be coming up as well. If you folks want to come, bring your kids, use the door hangers, whatever, or, or uh, postcards. I would love to have you. There are a couple of slots open for still some jobs or ministries or things like that. So if you would be interested, let us know, get in touch with me, um, and we'll be glad to, to work with you. All right. On your green handout, here's what we're going to do. Here's, here's the lay of the land. It seems to me that the Holy Spirit, in inspiring the Bible, has seen fit to pretty much veil the childhood of Jesus Christ. Pretty much. Quite a bit of information about how he was conceived and born and Bethlehem and the wise men and Egypt. But then he's back to Nazareth and goes silent. We really don't see much about him until he's 30 years of age, appearing at the Jordan River to be baptized by John the Baptist. The dove coming down, the voice out of heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So... Most of his life, as I say, veiled, except one incident when he was 12 years old. It's as if the Holy Spirit says, okay, I'm going to pull back the veil a little bit, give you a glimpse of what he was like and what life was like for him, for Mary, for Joseph, and all around him. Then the veil is going to be closed very, very quickly again. So that's what we're going to look at tonight. When he was 12 years of age, ready to be bar mitzvah, Jewish term, bar meaning son of, mitzvah, the law, happens typically when a boy is 13, so he's preparing for his bar mitzvah, 
for the gals a bat mitzvah, was a part of becoming fully accountable to God for your life actions and choices. So that's where we are in Luke chapter number 2. The last thing I want to say is what I'm going to do with this passage and share with you is point out a couple of key things about Jesus, about Mary, even about Joseph to give us an idea of it must have been like that all the time he was growing up. These are the basics of what it must have been like to have known Jesus as a teenager or as a child before he became a, an adult. I'm also going to take it to another level of suggesting to you that he is the model of all things, but he is certainly the model of a man. What does it mean to be a man, a male, a man? And there are four areas that Luke, the doctor, points out where he developed. So I'll draw some parallels for all of us, but especially the men that are with us tonight. Okay, so you have the lay of the land. You know what we're talking about. We've done the housekeeping. Luke 2, 12 years of age, going to talk about relationships and apply it also to where we are. All right, having said that, let's go to Luke chapter number 2. And there's much to this story, but I want to focus beginning on verse 49, if I might please. And he said unto them, why were you looking for me? This is Luke 2.49. Did not, do you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Luke 2, 49 through 50. To set a, just a little bit more of this context, I, I think there's some misunderstandings of family dynamics here. Let me give you the first misunderstanding. How in the world could Joseph and Mary leave Jerusalem and not know where Jesus was? You ever wonder that? What's up with them? Don't they know that they are parenting the incarnate God in human flesh? How could they have left Jerusalem and not known that he was right beside them? Fair question. In fairness to them, you've got to understand that every year they went to Jerusalem at Passover time. These are God's covenant people. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of them coming to Jerusalem to go through the Passover time. They travel with cousins and with brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and groups from every community round about, and no doubt there was a group from Nazareth. And so the implication is, as the Passover was completed and it was time to now go back home, everyone, like in mass, herds of people just started leaving Jerusalem and I'm presuming that they were presuming that, of course, Jesus was with them. 
He's so obedient anyway. He is submissive to them. If his mother and or Joseph asks him to do anything, my sense of the scripture is Christ would do it. They naturally assumed that first day that he was somewhere in the group. So they get apparently a day away because if you look at the passage, they're separated from him three days. They go a day, start making camp, look at each other. By now they have some other children, James and Joseph, sisters perhaps, that are theirs. And they notice, where's Jesus? Where is Yeshua, is what they would have probably called him. Joshua, Yeshua. I don't know. Can't find him. Can't find him. Panic ensues. So the next day they go back to Jerusalem. So there's a day going, day one, day two getting back there. And then the part of the third day, they look for him everywhere. Where could he possibly be? Can you imagine the panic? For those that have raised children, it only takes a heartbeat for them to dart into traffic or to disappear, it seems like. I mean, I could tell you a couple of stories of our kids growing up. My wife is here with me. I think we were very vigilant parents, but it can happen. So I think the idea is, look, he's submissive. They go a day that's family. You know, it's kind of that culture where you just leave your doors unlocked. Everybody trusts everybody. Jesus is surely in the group. No, he's not. Let's go back. Where is he? So that's one thing. The next thing I would like you to notice is something that Mary says. If you go back for a moment to verse 48, And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you. And the ESV says, in great distress. The Greek language is very, very strong there. They are saying, look, we have been absolutely to the edge. We, your father and I have been in an emotional turmoil. You've never done this to us. You've never caused us a moment of distress with you. And now a tsunami, now a hurricane, now a tornado of emotion has overwhelmed us completely. We were in great distress. Why did you treat us this way? How could you just not let us know? It says they were astonished at that. So feel that, and I'm sure, I'm sure you can, feel that. And he said unto them, why were you looking for me? Is he being flippant? Is he being arrogant? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? On your handout, in, tois, tau, pet, patros, mu, Greek. What that is basically saying is, it's very cryptic, there's no noun in there. He's basically saying, in or about my father's, I must be. Now follow me, track me here. What kind of answer is he giving them? They didn't get it. I know if you carry the King James Version, I must be about my father's business. But if you look at that passage, the word business is italicized, and so it should be. Jesus didn't say business. About my father's I must be. He leaves it 
blank. There's no noun. The ESV says what? I must be in my father's house. I'm okay with that. The answer Jesus gave them was, about my father's, and here's what I see. He's in the temple. I must be. My father's business, my father's house, my father's covenant, my father's work. I must be. But something else is going on there. Mary said, your father and I have been searching for you. Jesus very gently corrects her. Jesus very subtly reminds them both, not in an arrogant way, but this man is not my father. He's rearing me. He's raising me, doing a fantastic job. As a Jewish male, he needs to have his family in Jerusalem, and boy, they are there. When I was eight days old, he had me circumcised. He was there. Joseph is on the job. When Mary was with child, he raised her, even though everyone thought they had been intimate, and he had to take the shame of that, and it was not his child. Joseph took the child to Egypt like he was supposed to. I mean, give Joseph a break here. Bang, bang, bang. He is faithful all the way. But the Lord says, I must be about my father's business or house. So he corrects them just slightly. They didn't get it. In this passage, he is sitting among the doctors of the law in the temple. Who were they? Uh, Most villages had a synagogue, and most synagogues, if there were any size, had a rabbi. Great. Thank God for them. These guys are the rabbi's rabbis. These are the professors. These are the doctors of the law. These are the ones stationed at Jerusalem. Not Nazareth, Jerusalem. They're in the temple, not a synagogue. And he is in the midst of them, sitting in the midst of them, hearing them, asking them questions, and giving them answers. And they were astonished. How in the world does this pre-bar mitzvah 12-year-old boy from Nazareth, whose parents are apparently nowhere to be found... Who is this? Where did he get that understanding? How did he know those answers? We never considered the questions he's asking. We never saw that in the Bible. He's putting things together that none of us know, but they fit, they work, they're true. They are absolutely floored. They are so used to cranking 12 and 13-year-old boys through bar mitzvahs, having gone through it themselves. Uh, This is something very different. They're astonished at his understanding and his answers. Now, the kind of the sarcastic person in me, I don't want to be sarcastic, I don't think I am, but would say, duh, he wrote the book. No wonder he knows every detail of the book, every aspect of the book. But I want to be careful about that. 
Because now we come to our passage. They did not understand the sayings that he spoke to them. He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. His mother, in particular, treasured up all these things in her heart. But here it is. And Jesus increased in wisdom. And Jesus increased in stature. And Jesus increased in favor with God. And Jesus increased. That's the language that modifies all four. Favor with man. Let me submit to you that those four areas are the areas that you and I must concentrate on. Those are the areas, if you're rearing and raising children, concentrate on those areas. Jesus is human. We're getting now into the hypostatic union, God-man. He's a baby. He's a child. He's a 12-year-old. What does he know? Philippians 2 would tell us he emptied himself of the free exercise of some of this. Kenosis, he emptied himself. But stop and think about it. When he's a nursing baby, he's not there thinking, Hi, Mary, I know who I am. I know who you are. Let's get on with this. I'm living my life. No, he's a, he's a baby. He's an infant. He's interested in milk. He's, he's a baby. He's a toddler. He's got to learn to walk. He's got to learn to fall down. He's growing up. The scripture would indicate, now the veil is being pulled back. What was it like growing up as Jesus? How much did he know? At what time did he realize who he was, why he was here? Luke is telling you by age 12, this is his clarity. He knows the scriptures. He knows that it is his role. Think about this. He is so aware of who he is. One of the commandments is, thou shalt honor thy mother and thy father. So he said, okay, I'm going to honor my mother and father. I'm going to go down to Nazareth. I'm the son of God, but I'm going to go down to Nazareth. And if my mother says it's time for a bath, what am I going to do? I'm going to take a bath. If my father, Joseph, asks me, sweep up the sawdust, clean up the shop, I will do it. Carry this load gladly. I will never mock them. I will never disobey them. I will never ever be a smart aleck. But at age 12, he says this. About my father, I must be. I must be. I must be. So he increased in wisdom. Knowledge, yes. Knowledge is facts. Wisdom is how you use those facts. Picture your Savior as a 12-year-old boy. He's learning. He's increasing in wisdom. He's increasing in stature. He's growing. You know, I don't know whether they put marks on the wall and all of that. Oh, boy, you're growing. You're growing. He increased in favor with God, his spiritual disciplines, his prayer, his reading of the Bible, keeping of the feasts. And he increased in favor with men. That's his social outreach, his social relationship. He's never... One of those kids in the neighborhood where the parents say, I don't want you playing with Jesus. I don't want you picking up any bad habits from him. He's not that kid. He's, he's not the one. He's not the one sassing the neighbors. But he's a kid. I hope you're okay with he's a kid. Some have wondered, did he ever measure a board incorrectly? Probably. He's learning. Joseph was a tectone. The Greek word means hand laborer. 
Wood, yes, not necessarily just wood. Stone, a day laborer, a tectone. Later in his life, they will say, is not this the carpenter? He's called a tectone as well. I'm presuming every good Jewish boy learns a trade, right? Somebody tell me, what did the Apostle Paul do on the side? What trade did he have? He was a Pharisee, he was a, an apostle, but what did he do on the side? Somebody tell me. What was it? Tent maker. Grew up in Tarsus. Tarsus still to this day. The sheep that are there, black wool, very, very tightly furred, very tightly hairy uh, pelts come off of those animals. Highly water resistant. He grew up in a place where tent making was an art. On the side, I'm sure he carried a, a, a valise with him. His tools, every craftsman carries their tools. Paul carried the tools, had a receipt book, and kept himself fed because he wouldn't take money from churches often. He made a living by making tents, right? Hooked up with some tent makers in the Bible. Jesus was a tectone. He was a carpenter. He was a hand laborer. Not far from Nazareth is the Roman village of Sephorus. It's not mentioned in the Bible, except I think it when he says a city that's set on a hill cannot be hid, probably thinking about Sephorus. And there's stones over there and amphitheaters. He may have laid some of those stones. Maybe. So he's increasing. The idea is progressive development in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God, favor with man. So, let's take a breath for a moment. Now do you get the dynamics of the family? You've got faithful Joseph who doesn't say much, but he's solid, he's there. In the ministry of Christ, he doesn't appear in a single story. He is not there at the crucifixion. I presume he died, maybe in a terrible work-related accident, heart attack, who knows. He does not appear later in Christ's life. Mary knows from the beginning exactly how he was born, how he was conceived. She knows that for a fact. She knows who he is. It's been told her that a sword will pierce him and a sword will pierce you. But she's wondering and treasuring these things in her heart as well. And she's naturally upset with him. Why are you treating us this way? You've never treated us this way. We are greatly distressed with you, son. Luke says, get the idea. She was a mother. And yet you have Jesus at 12 developing his awareness that was fully culminating, always God, but at his baptism, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And his ministry begins at 30. It's interesting, those words in your handout, 1 Samuel 2.26, basically the same thing was said about Samuel, increased in wisdom and stature. I give you Proverbs 3, 1 to 4. Look those verses up sometime, basically saying that we're to do the same thing in those areas. So now let me turn to the latter part, and we'll come back to the text in a moment. Let me ask you, who is your ideal man? And I'm asking the guys and the gals. If you were to picture the ideal man... Your dream boat. Who, who, what does he look like? How does he behave? What are his values? What is your ideal man? And what is the ideal man? It changes through the years. Hollywood has a lot to do with it. Certain men are put out as that's the ideal man. That's the one we're all striving for, men and women. 
right? There's, this is the ideal man. Um, in Faith Hill's song, This Kiss, was on the radio the other day, and I, I was picking up what she said that was her ideal man. It, it, it struck me. A good heart, a soft touch, and a fast horse. Good heart, soft touch, fast horse. I'll ride away with him all day long, it says. That's, that's what I'm looking for. When I ask you about the ideal man, did anyone think of Jesus? He is the ideal man. He is. He walked 60 miles to get baptized, at least twice made a whip and drove people out of the temple and over through the tables and nobody withstood him was scourged and carried the cross all the way almost to the top of Mount Calvary. It's a wonder he got that far. Physically, mentally, emotionally, with children. Children know. There are some adults that children shy away from consistently. Other adults, there are certain people that animals just go to. Cat's dog, but go to him. The children came to Jesus. He picked them up, blessed them, no problems. Could relate to women. Woman taken in adultery is a primary concern. Where are your accusers? Neither do I accuse you, but go and sin no more. He kept her dignity, restored her, but put her on the right path spiritually. The woman at the well in Samaria. She goes, why don't, he goes, why don't you bring your husband here? And she goes, I don't have a husband. He goes, you know what? You're speaking correctly. You've been with five men, and the man that you're with right now is not your husband. So he spoke truth. But there was just something about his gentleness. He's an ideal man. There's a book at the top of your handout called A Man of Steel and Velvet, an Australian guy named Aubrey. Andaline wrote it, Man of Steel and Velvet. Came across this book in college. My roommate had it. Read it, loved it, bought it. Still have it. Masculine Development, The Ideal Man. He took that title, by the way, from a Carl Sandburg poem about Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln, Carl Sandburg said, was a man of steel and velvet in balance. In the book, I've reproduced it. want to give, you, give him complete credit. The ideal man, according to, the, according to Aubrey Andeline, is the steel side. He's a guide, a protector, provider, a builder of society, oozes masculinity, has character, confidence, and health. On the velvet side, he understands women, he is gentle, he's attentive, he's youthful, he's humble, and there's a refinement there. And I like that number four, not childish, but youthful. He's still, that little kid is still alive in there. Good. It's in balance. And in the book it says, the steel side makes women and children feel secure, arouses admiration of all, and makes, women feel, makes a woman feel womanly. The velvet side promotes, promotes good human relations among all people, awakens love in women and children. Together they bring a man peace, happiness, and fulfillment. That's his position. The ideal man has those characteristics. He's a man of steel and velvet. And Jesus had all of those. He had them all. And so much more. All right. 
So in full, full circle, let's bring it back. I have come here tonight to do two things. Number one, to have you take a fresh look at your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in all of his glory and in all of his awesome, incredible reality of who he was and what he was like. This is a human being who came into the world through the matrix of a woman's body, who nursed, who grew, who was a toddler, who was a kid, who was a teenager, who was a young man, and who was an adult. He did not have a halo. The prophets would indicate that when you would look at him, there is nothing that would have drawn you to him. You would have passed him on the street. And he was of his era. He was of his people. I don't think, according to the movies, he was blue-eyed, blonde-haired, and spoke with a British accent like some who portray Christ. He was Semitic. He was dark-headed, brown-eyed, swarthy skin. Typical. I wanted you to see his humanity and not be offended by it or not be put off by it, but rather drawn to it. And you get this glimpse when he was 12 of what it must have been like. An attentive dad, a concerned mother, but a growing and developing Jesus Christ, both mentally, physically, spiritually, and socially. He's increasing. He's growing. So I wanted you to have that picture of your Savior. And the second thing is, I want to be like him. These are areas where I need to concentrate. These are areas where he developed. So I want to develop my mind. Knowledge and wisdom. I want to make good choices. I want to be wise, just like Jesus. I want to develop my stature. I want to watch what I eat. I want to watch how I exercise. I want to take care of this temple, my body that God has given me, this earth suit in which my soul dwells. Don't want to mistreat it. Don't want to abuse it. I want to try to understand it. I want to try to preserve it. I want to try to keep it healthy so that I can serve him with energy and vitality. Jesus increased in stature. Favor with God. The spiritual disciplines of life. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Disciplined. I need to eat every day. I need to read the scripture every day. I need to hide his word in my heart. I need to be a person of prayer. I need to be sharing my faith. And in favor with man. There is nothing wrong with being a little bit socially refined. If you're raising a young man, dad, take him aside at an appropriate time and say, this is how you shake hands with someone. You look them in the eye, you reach out, here's the amount of pressure that you should use, a couple of quick pumps, and then withdraw. Okay? Do not hand out your hand this way to shake hands with another man looking down. Look them in the eye. This is how you shake hands. By the way, do not shake hands with a woman unless she extends her hands first. Do not put her in an awkward position. If she reaches a hand out, then gently shake her hand and move on. This is how you answer a telephone. This is how you answer a, the door. This is, how, this is how you do this. Write a thank you note. Be sure and say please. 
socially. There's nothing wrong with that. But the young ladies as well. This is how you sit. This is how you carry yourself. Jesus increased in favor with men socially. He was comfortable. There are times to be quiet. There are times to speak. There's time just to just be you the way God made you. To be real and to be genuine. It's good. You can further the gospel that way by networking properly. You don't want to be the person that if someone sees you at Kroger's, they say, oh, I'm going to skip that aisle. I don't want to interact with them. You don't be, that's not Jesus. He was not have been that person. It'd be, hey, good to see you. So use this as a guide. If you're interested, the book is available on Amazon and eBay and everything else. Man of Steel and Velvet. Fantastic. It's great. So we know a little bit more about our Savior. And he leaves us an example even in this area. Father, thank you for your word. We pray that you will apply it to our hearts. Thank you for the person and the work of Jesus Christ, who he was and how he handled himself in this world. I pray that people will come to see Christ in us. What a great thing that might be for your glory. Bless this church, bless its leadership. We lift the Dowdy family up to you again. And we ask that even in the hospital, they would be a tremendous testimony of what it means to truly trust Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, and amen.